Welcome to Sustainable Business Friday. I'm your host, Katie Elman. Sustainable Business Fridays is the first podcast of its kind, bringing together students in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, not-for-profits, social entrepreneurship, and more. Twice monthly, these conversations go live via iTunes and Google Play. This week, I'm joined by Bard MBA's Carolyn Pincus, and we're speaking with Thomas Singer, Principal Researcher in Corporate Leadership at the Conference Board, and author of the report, Business Transformation and the Circular Economy, A Candid Look at Risks and Rewards. Hello, Thomas. So yes, I'm Carolyn. I'm a first-year MBA student here at Bard, and um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And before we uh, go into your research and work at the conference board, I was wondering if you could share with us uh, the first time you came across holistic management systems or circular systems and how this impacted you. I'd be happy to, and, and thank you, first of all, for this wonderful opportunity to share uh, some stories around the circular economy and some of our latest research in this area. It's a great opportunity. You know, to begin with, my work in in sustainability and specifically the circular economy concepts actually began uh, well before I started at the conference board. Uh, my background is actually in strategy consulting. Um, and, and most of that time in strategy consulting actually helping uh, companies with their sustainability strategies. So I was working with a few of the boutique sustainability strategy consulting firms helping companies understand why sustainability was important for them and uh, how to develop some of those strategies and build a business case. So that was quite a bit of the bulk of my experience prior to the conference board. And when I joined TCB or the conference board about uh, six years ago or so, I was brought in to expand our work in the sustainability area uh, in terms of our research in this space. And over the last few years or so, activities related to the circular economy have been gaining in, in interest from our members, but also there's quite a bit of activity in terms of regulation outside of the United States, primarily in Europe, um, and also a number of, of pilots of companies that are beginning to get involved in this space. So that naturally led us to, to begin to explore this topic as one of our key research areas at the conference board. How did you uh, come to author Business Transformation in the Circular Economy? You know, most of our, our work is, is uh, very much member-centric in the sense that we uh, take stock of what our members are, are mostly interested in, what kind of issues they're struggling with, um, and what issues they should be aware of. And as I said, the circular economy concept has become, you know, pretty prevalent in terms of the number of companies thinking about it. Um, the, the types of activities that are taking place at national levels in terms of legislation, regulation, particularly in the EU. And so this was a topic that we were hearing many of our members uh, begin to be interested in understanding a little bit more. And we approached this particular research project from a case study, case study standpoint. So in other words, we were less interested in kind of the theory behind the circular economy, because a lot of good work has been has been done around that, you know, kind of building the case for it and and how it works from a theoretical standpoint. But we were interested in seeing uh, or learning about kind of real practical examples of companies that have been involved in these types of pilots and projects and initiatives and understand what those challenges have been. You know, how have 
circular economy pilots succeeded or how have they, or why have they broken down? Um, what were those big challenges? What were those big successes and the key enablers um, for success in, in these types of projects? So like I said, we took a case study approach. We looked at seven companies and that had been involved in, in circular economy initiatives in one way or another, some of them for many years, and some of them have just begun with you know, a few pilots and projects here and there. But each of them were able to share kind of real experiences about how these, these pilots and projects uh, have worked out in the past and, and why they've worked and also those cases when they haven't worked at all. I was reading through some of these case studies actually and I really enjoyed uh, the approach you took and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to these the risks and challenges especially in this area that I found interesting for my own work um, in terms of building trust with partners and creating these strategic alliances with partners how you know how did you observe that how did you go into that and um, how eventually how was that trust sort of fostered? Yeah, I think one of the, the important things to remember about uh, circular economy initiatives is that they require a tremendous amount of collaboration. Just the, the sheer nature of these types of projects uh, where you're involving a number of actors, either internally within your own company or externally with other uh, partners, suppliers, and across the value chain. So there's a tremendous amount of collaboration that needs to take place. So what we heard over and over again in, in our interviews and in our work with, with companies was that um, the, the importance of transparency and open communication, being able to trust in, in the partners you're working with, whether that means you know, somebody else in your own organization in a different function that you might be collaborating with, or maybe it's down the line um, you know, it, with, with some suppliers or some partners that are involved with with product take back, for example, or, or recycling at end of life. The, the importance of that transparency, of that open communication was just one of the, those key themes that ran across all of our conversations with companies. In fact, often you know, the number one reason some of these initiatives fail was because of these breakdowns in communication or because there were differences in the expectations that companies had with their partners. And, and even simple things such as, differences in expectations around how long a project might take or how costly the project might be. So uh, again, one of those key things we learned was the importance of establishing strong partnerships, learning and collaborating with other organizations along the value chain and ensuring that there's a high level of, of transparency. And much of that is really accomplished just by being realistic about expectations um, and engaging uh, your partners along the way throughout uh, throughout the the lifetime of a project and an initiative. The other thing that is actually one of the enablers of of this type of collaboration is um, the importance of you know for many companies being able to find something small in terms of a small project or a small initiative and to just begin building traction early on that project, just starting essentially. That really maximizes the chances of keeping these cross functional groups together. Um, it 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 ensures that projects actually get launched rather than dragged on. So this idea that might seem rather simple, but to really just find something and, and start early to build traction around that project. I was looking through and I saw um, specifically in terms of uh, the company waste management that you had highlighted. And um, 
I was wondering if you could maybe go a little bit more in depth into that case study in terms of um, where you, you know, where they were able to see their risks and challenges. And then also this um, example that you just spoke on where they found maybe a small area and then expanded from there. Yeah, you know, waste management is a, is a great example of, um, you know, why companies get involved in circular economy initiatives. In fact, when we asked um, when we asked a survey of, or actually when we conducted a survey of several of our members, over 50 or so in this particular area, and we asked them what drives them to pursue circular economy initiatives, um, you know, the majority of those respondents said cost savings. Right, cost savings. About forty-four percent of them said cost savings. But then, when we dug a little bit deeper and actually talked to several of the companies in our case studies, we found something else that was really at play here, which was many of these circular economy initiatives are triggered by a pressure to meet changing customer needs, and in particular, customer sustainability goals. And this is where we where we see a company such as Waste Management. You know, what what is actually driven quite a bit of their work around the circular economy is this change in customer goals and and change in, in the types of products and services that customers are demanding. So for instance, uh, waste management in the early 2000s, about a quarter of the company's revenue was in what, was, what one would call traditional landfill, essentially um, you know, helping companies take their garbage, trash, and, and, and landfill it. Now that there was there was this growing realization that that core business model was going to be at risk because they were seeing waste management was seeing that a number of customers were establishing these zero waste to landfill goals. Um, you know, we now see a number of companies with these types of goals, but at the time it was this was pretty novel. This idea of a zero waste to landfill goal, um, but the growth in the number of customers establishing these types of goals was really putting waste management's core business model at risk. So there was this realization that you know, the company's core business was really at risk because of this change in, in, in sort of customer uh, dynamics and customers pursuing these types of goals. So the circular economy became really crucial for waste management to remain relevant to customers, um, to participate um, with, you know, with with customers and, and kind of their needs and, and actually meet their needs. So today, when we look at the company, about um, half of waste management's revenues now uh, can be attributed to green services. And green services include not only what you and I are very familiar with, which is kind of the recycling part of the business, but also more consultative type of services. So sustainability consulting type of services. And in fact, you know, the early the early uh, initiatives that waste management had around circular economy were, you know, what what one traditionally thinks of as a circular economy, which is helping companies figure out what to do with their waste product. Can we turn that product at its end of life into something new? Can we find a recycling solution for it? And that was all well for for a number of years. But in fact, one of the most interesting things that they're doing uh, these days around the circular economy is helping uh, companies. Um, design products they're actually working with designers at, at their customers to figure out how do we actually design a product change the way a product is made to make it more easily recyclable or um, to make it last longer or um, to make it for example reusable or in other 
in other ways uh, more sustainable. So working kind of higher up along the value chain with actual designers to figure out at the front end, how do you design waste out of the system? Now that uh, requires a, a kind of a tremendous amount of close collaboration with customers in a way that uh, wasn't happening in the past. If you think about kind of the core traditional business model, that level of, of collaboration of working with the customer and, and with within the customer's business to help uh, design products is, um, is a shift from what used to be the case. And I also wanted to touch on in this case study, your note here about um, participating in the regulatory process. I think that in terms of sustainability and creating these different systems um, to ignore the regulatory sort of culture, you know, really isn't possible. And I was wondering if you could speak to how that sort of came about for them and sort of your observations in terms of. So the 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 impact or the effect rather of of. Um regulation in the area of the circular economy is pretty significant. This was brought up as one of the one of the big challenges that companies have faced. A number of them have faced this challenge, be it uh, waste management, uh, be it Kimberly-Clark, um, you know, Dell, a number of others. They've all faced issues around kind of this regulatory space. And especially what's been brought up uh, are, are in particular kind of the unintended consequences of regulation. So for instance, regulation that's been put in place, or environmental regulation that's been put in place for a good reason, but that um, unfortunately gets in the way of circular economy initiatives. So one example of that, um, for example, is the, the, the transfer of hazardous waste, uh, or rather regulation that limits and restricts the transfer and movement of hazardous waste across borders. Now, the reason that regulation is, is, is in place is um, you know, for good reasons, to reduce the risk in, of moving uh, waste across borders, be, be they geographic borders, um, international borders, et cetera. So there's the regulation that, that is in place for a good reason, but is actually kind of hindering progress around the circular economy because it makes product take back much more difficult. You know, if you think about you know, rules that are in place to limit the, the transfer and the movement of goods across borders, well, what do you do all of a sudden when you have um, product at its end of life that you need to bring back to convert into something new and potentially bring back and then send somewhere else to work with a partner to then recycle that product or convert it into something entirely new. So this is one example of the type of kind of regulatory issues and roadblocks that get in the way of, of circular economy initiatives. The other thing we, we heard through our interviews that was uh, tremendously important is to engage with policymakers early on some of these issues. Um, to, to begin to, you know, when, when, when regulations are being put in place, uh, to be able to kind of explain and, and, and intelligently talk to policymakers about some of the issues that might restrict the, the success of circular economy initiatives and to be involved early in, in the formation of many of these um, regulatory activities. So for instance, the EU is fairly active in this space. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, there's a circular economy package that incentivizes certain circular economy types of initiatives, including um, product reusability and uh, extending the lifetime of products. But it's important for companies to become early uh, or involved early with some of these initiatives. And that's something that you know many of these organizations that we featured, be it waste management, uh, Kimberly Clark, etc., they've been they've worked with 
uh, policymakers and that they engaged with them to explain what some of these challenges are and to try to avoid them in the future. Have you found that there are any particular um, states or cities that are, are particularly open to concepts around the circular economy and this sort of holistic management styles uh, more than others and why that is? Well, um, you know, what, what we found is that certain, there's a lot of activity in certain regions. Um, when, when I look, when I think outside the U.S., I brought up uh, the EU, the circular economy package, the number of countries within Europe that actually have their own circular economy uh, roadmaps, strategic roadmaps, if you wish. Um, so, you know, there's there's these national initiatives to actually achieve a certain percentage, for example, of, of uh, reduction in raw material usage or uh, recycled industrial waste. Um, and much of that activity is taking place in Europe. We're also actually seeing some of it taking place in China. China's most recent five-year plan includes a number of, of uh, targets and goals associated with the circular economy, again, uh, mostly around the, the reuse of of industrial waste. Um, within the US, most of the, the the work that we're seeing in this space, um, you know, it, it, it has to do with kind of business to business initiatives. Uh, much of the demand is coming from businesses. Again, I mentioned the, the kind of business models that are at risk because of changing customer demands. And one of the things that we found is we actually, in our, our poll of, of members, we found that about a third of companies are actually now preferring to be offered products or services that extend the lifetime of their products rather than purchasing a new one. We also found about a third of companies prefer to be offered um, you know, services rather than products. So this move towards a product as a service model, for instance. So we're seeing a lot of kind of most of the demand for these types of initiatives coming uh, not necessarily from regulation within the U.S., but rather from you know, changing demand and, and changing the different types of products and services that companies are actually looking for within the U.S. Um, the growth of sustainability strategies, sustainability goals and targets. I mentioned the zero waste to landfill goals. Some of these are driving demand for circular economy types of initiatives and, and products. From these from these case studies that you used in your report, which uh, which study did you find? I don't want to use the word successful necessarily, but which did you find to you know sort of most embody the circular economy as you as you described in your report? Yeah, you know they're they're all at various stages in the circular economy. Some have been at this for a number of years, um, and others have just recently. Um, begun launching pilots and initiatives around the circular economy. So there's there's varying degrees of experience with it, and they each bring quite a bit of um, kind of knowledge around you know what's working and what are some of the challenges and successes. Uh, but you know some of the the companies that have been at this for a number of years now. Well, Interface of course has has been involved in the circular economy and and is and actually not only involved in it, but is the circular economy is core to the company's business model now. Um, so I would point to to them as a, an interesting and a great example of, of um, making circular economy initiatives part of the business model and not just uh, kind of a side project. Philips is another example that I would bring up um, and mostly around their work in transitioning away from selling products to really moving towards a product as a service solution. There was this realization a few years ago um, by Philips, by leadership at Philips, that you know 
the the shift and the changing consumer dem demographics or demographic trends rather you know that we're seeing about 5 billion more middle class consumers joining the market in in uh, a few years and what that will do to demand for raw materials and um, and limited resources there was this realization that if the company wanted to be around for another 100 years they really had to shift their business away from relying on the extraction of raw materials uh, and that called for this transition towards a product as a service model. So when you think about, you know, one of Philips' key areas, business areas being lighting. So moving away from selling light fixtures, for instance, to providing light as a service, whereby customers will purchase um, light as a service, they will they will actually purchase the the maintenance, the upgrades, and in some cases even the the kilowatts from from Philips rather than own the physical light fixture. So Philips retains ownership of that light fixture. Now, what I, why I think this is interesting is that there's, there's these three benefits associated with this model. One, there's this financial benefit for customers um, because now there's, there's um, an operating expense rather than, rather than a capital expenditure when you're you know, fitting an entire warehouse or office with lighting. Um, so it becomes a, an operating expense rather than a capital expenditure. There's also this customer relationship benefit for Philips because they're able to stay on top of customer needs and learn about usage patterns since they now retain ownership of that light fixer. They're able to understand how customers are using the product and relay that information to their innovation teams to improve products or develop even new products. And then lastly, there's that environmental benefit. There's now an incentive to extend the replacement cycles of these these fixtures and and use the most energy efficient fixtures since at the end of the day um it's it's philips that is responsible for maintaining upgrading and even uh dealing with the light fixture at its end of life uh, through recycling or or otherwise uh, disposal so and i think um the other reason i i, I bring up philips is because you know companies have been involved in these types of initiatives for a number of years but it's still a very, very small number of them that have started to quantify the real business impact of the circular economy. Um, there's very few companies that can tell you, you know, the, the amount of revenue that is being generated from these initiatives. And in the case of Philips, you know, they just started tracking this uh, about a couple of years ago. And um, currently these initiatives, the circular economy accounts for about 9% of revenue. And they actually have a goal to grow that to, to 15% by 2020. So a real kind of example of quantifying the value of the circular economy to the business. It's not just a side project. That's really interesting. Um, and I wanted to ask, where do you see the conference board sort of um, going next? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I think there's a tremendous amount of work at companies, perhaps following up with them in a few years. You know, like I said, some of these companies have been at these initiatives for a number of years, some have just begun over the last uh, one or two years, to sort of follow up and understand how those initiatives have have, um, have been going. You know, what have been some of those uh, roadblocks after a few years, and have they been able to overcome some of the main roadblocks that were brought up during our discussion? You know, one of the the main kind of challenges that companies pointed to in developing these initiatives was building the business case for them and obtaining leadership buy-in. And that's that's really important. I mean, out of out of the 50 or so companies we interviewed or polled for this question, about 37% of them 
pointed to to this as the primary challenge, you know, building the business case and obtaining leadership buy-in. So we're interested in seeing how that's evolving, to what extent they're able to to bring up these these conversations about the circular economy to their strategic teams, to their leadership teams, to the C-suite, and and what successes they've they've been having in, in building that business case and obtaining that leadership buy-in. We know from our own research at the conference board that um, CEOs care about sustainability issues. It's one of their top uh, challenges. Um, the question is, you know, what are companies doing to to convince their CEOs that this is core to their business? Uh, now, more near term, our, our next uh, or one of our next um, key research areas of the conference board is actually going to be on a different topic, but but very much related, uh, really around understanding total impact measurement uh, for companies, uh, understanding the types of methodologies that companies are using to measure their total impacts. Um, and, and by that, I mean not just financial impact, but considering environmental and, and social issues in the way that they they measure their impact and the way that they make strategic business decisions. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up next um, in terms of our work at the conference board. Wow, that sounds really exciting. Thank you so much for uh, going through this report with us. Thank you. You can read the full report and learn more about the conference board by visiting conference-board.org. Join us for the next Sustainable Business Fridays on December 15th. Bard MBA in Sustainability. Lead the change. Learn more at bard.edu.